everyone welcome back to the pod and the pendulum the horror movie podcast covering every single horror movie franchise one movie in one episode at a time i am one of your hosts mike snoonian we have a small say intimate gathering tonight is what i would say it is myself and well coming back to the show we have rachel reeves rachel how are you i am great I'm actually like really looking forward to talking about this movie with you tonight. I think this will be fun because it's kind of like the it's kind of like the cousin Oliver of the franchise, you know, for <laughs> folks that get the reference. Um, uh, but we're here to talk about Child's Play 3, the 1991 slasher movie written by Don Mancini and directed by Jack Bender. So, Rachel, can you tell me, what was your first time watching this movie? You know, it's kind of wild, but this was a first timer for me. This You were was today my... days old. I was, yeah, today days old. I watched it last night for the first time. Um, it's so funny because, like, in everything else in my life, I feel like I'm very much a completionist. Like, mm-hmm. I won't move forward with a franchise until I watch the previous installment. Like, I want to watch them in order, and I want to watch all of them. But Child's Play, I've been all over the place. Mm. And I kind of skipped over this one because I've only really ever heard people have kind of, like, lukewarm sentiments about this one yeah. over the years. So it was never really a priority. But that said... I found myself pretty uh, pleasantly surprised, you might say, at what I witnessed last night. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I guess there's something to be said about, you know, low expectations. Sure. Because <laughs> it's I how I've gone through it. my dating years, basically. I did <laughs> yeah. pretty well based on people not expecting much. It was great. <laughs> yeah. So I actually had a lot of fun. And, like, I'm, yeah, so I'm really excited to talk about it because I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah, same. Like, it was a first-time watch for me as well. And I remember I bought the box set a couple years ago when it was, like, down to, like, $20 uh, for yeah, every movie. that's what that I have, too. Uh, which is a great little way to get everything on blue. And I just – it's kind of series where, like, you skip around a bit. Like, you do – the first couple movies and then immediately go to bride and seed. Um, or sometimes you start with bride because it's like probably the most fun movie of the bunch. Um, but I kept skipping over three on, and, and based on its reputation, like based on the fact that, and it wasn't a movie where people like trashed it. No, it, yeah. it's not. Um, it doesn't have the reputation of a say like Halloween resurrection where like, Oh, you have to watch this movie <laughs> just cause it's so you won't believe how bad a movie could actually be compared to like others in the series. It was just like the kind of it's there. Um, but I would say like, I was pleasantly surprised as well too. Like, especially the second time I watched it for this show, like kind of preparing for it. Um, 
I found it like, fun and engaging. And I think in part, like all of the ones we've watched so far have been less than 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, so like it kind of breezes in and out and then like, you know, it doesn't overstay its welcome. So I'm excited. This is going to be like some, some yeah. hot takes right off the Let's see top. how we do. Yeah. <laughs> hot, but nice takes. Cause usually yeah. like hot takes are usually like every, your favorites are actually garbage. Um, like no justice for child's play three. <laughs> so, um, so just very briefly on the background, just a couple little things to point out here. Um, one, and this is actually Don Mancini's like least favorite of the series as well. Like he's actually said after two movies, he felt like he had run out of ideas, uh, which to be fair to Mr. Mancini, like gives him one more movie of ideas than John Carpenter had with Halloween. You know, he's kind of like still, still ahead of the horror master there. Um, but he was basically commissioned to write it by Universal before two had even been released. Um, and there was only like once two became like a real hit, um, it was a third installment was greenlit right away and it was rushed. Like there was like nine months between parts two and parts three, which is usually wild to me. And I think that that really, like you see it and that really Mm -hmm. speaks to like, I don't know, that whole like greed, corporate greed versus, which, you know, bleeds over into the movie, but like corporate greed versus, you know, genuine creativity and passion and the fact that that sucks. Poor, I yeah. mean, I, I love Don Mancini, so that really sucks that he like felt that way. But yeah. I, I do think you can, it comes through a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, you've had three movies and, um, four years like yeah between 88 and 91 like the only year there's not an installment is 1989 uh so they're churning and burning them out at this point um you know and part of it maybe to fill a gap like the elm street series had kind of wound down by then um friday the 13th had really wound down a bit by then like you wouldn't get anything between manhattan and jason goes to hell so these movies kind of all fit within that time period um, so, you know, like Universal sees a space in the marketplace and they want to fill it. Slashers oh, are pretty I, much. Yeah. I mean, I know, I, I know it's just my, you know, altruistic naivete talking, mm-hmm. but it's like, do you really want to release something that like, you know, the creator isn't like proud of, or would you rather just like yeah. wait another year and like actually release something that's going to be treasured? But, you know, I guess that's really, you know, money talks, yeah. I guess. So. Nowadays, it does feel like they do take that extra time, like when a movie is a hit. uh, And I think maybe COVID has kind of thrown skews off. It skewed things a bit, too, because so many things have been delayed or they weren't able to shoot. Um, But for the most part, like if something is really good and they know they're going to follow up, like they give it a little bit more time. it felt like in the, I mean, I look at a nightmare in Elm street and that series between like Elm street one and Freddy's dead. I think they did. They even, I think maybe they took off 1990, but they were churning out like an Elm street every single year. Um, but I would argue that like, there's not really a bad one in the bunch, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There, I mean, there's some, it, I feel like it's always like subjective, you know, everybody's got their like different faves, but there's not a wrong answer. 
I and I think part of that was like, and we talked about this when we did the Elm Street franchise. Like Bob Shea was always like very protective of Freddie in terms of just like wanting to, you know, hey, he realized like it's the character that built his studio. Um, and after like after literally one movie doesn't do that great, he's like, okay, we're gonna end the series at this point. Like we're not gonna keep churning them out. I personally love Freddy's Dead because it is a comedy. Mm-hmm. Um and it feels like an Irish wake. Like it feels like a celebration <laughs> of everything. Yeah. Um rather than, you know, like it, it just to me it feels like really, really fun. I I love that movie personally. Mancini had a couple like really fun ideas that were not able to um, come to pass. Like for one, he wanted to do like an army of Chucky's, which he was not able to do for budget reasons, but he wanted yet until was it cult cult of Chucky is when you see that. Yeah. And then there's little if you've seen the new one, Mm -hmm. the TV series, there's hints of that as well. Okay, the last episode I watched for the new one, it ends on the cliffhanger of like they're in his old house and there's like literally hundreds of good guy doll boxes. Yeah. So okay, it might be the new season. I mean, it's already been confirmed for, you know, a second Mm -hmm. season. So that army might be returning. So many Chuckies. The other idea that was floated and i don't know if it would have been like an anthology movie but the idea was like john ritter was going to play a security guard at the good guy factory that's been abandoned uh and his thing was he was going to scare kids away by basically telling them um tales of chucky so it would have been like are you afraid of the chuck would be that's interesting yeah plus john ritter i mean oh yeah he would be great he'd be great at that yeah so scaring children absolutely john would have been great (laughs) after playing it straight for three movies like this is the last one that kind of plays the concept straight mancini like realizes that he loves the idea of chucky and wants to do more with the character but he needs to kind of go in a different direction so like this is the movie that kind of indirectly leads to bride of chucky years later which takes on like a more campy and tongue-in-cheek direction that you see uh in can in in bride and in seed and you know in other installments as well to a lesser degree yeah i do think that it's funny like having seen the later installments and this movie really got me thinking about kind of chucky as a personality and like when you think of chucky like what do you think of like you think of those like quippy one-liners and the the great kills and the sass and all that and i feel like this is actually the first movie where you really get that like like there's hints of it in the first and the second one obviously but this one it's like oh here he is like this is a chucky like we know and love like this is more of the chucky that i think of when i think of this character and for the first time i really felt like he they're they're playing that up a little bit more. yeah yeah you get like the don't fuck with the chuck uh great line um, it's like his first line in the movie yeah. right like yep. <laughs> yeah. um you get that and you definitely it's still played like a straight slasher. Like, I think you have the same tone that parts one and two do um, where, you know, it doesn't lean super into the comedy quite yet. But it is like really I think there's a playfulness here. I mean, you have like this tiny animatronic doll riding like an animatronic like 
dragon up to the top <laughs> of a fake mountain at the climax of your movie. So if you yeah. don't know what you're in for at that point, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. And I, I it's funny because it's like this this conflict of things. It's like on one hand, you really get like the character coming into a zone, like mm-hmm. Mancini's kind of like settling in with this character. But at the same time, like the plot itself almost feels like he didn't know quite what to do with it because yeah. it's like, okay, we're three movies in and he's like still trying to transfer his soul into a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, let's, uh, we've seen this. We've seen this twice yeah. now. Like, let's move on. So it's kind of interesting how there's like on one hand it's progressing, but on the other, it's kind of stagnating. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Cause how, and I think that's kind of what Mancini felt like kind of how many times am I going to just like, write the same movie but oh i'm gonna move it from downtown chicago to the suburbs to military school like what would be the next concept that you know you could really do at that point so you kind of needed to do something different and they certainly do i mean one thing you can say about bride of chucky is it is certainly original like it is very much its own thing um that exists wholly outside of this um I love that though. I love that they they took a they took a beat, it took a minute, and it was like, all right, if we're gonna do this, we gotta yeah. They 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 took that seriously that moment to really sit and think about what they wanted to yeah. do, and they did something different, and I love it. I think that if you pull most people and ask them what their favorite of the series is, they would tell you either the original or Bride of Chucky. I, um, I think you're right. Yeah, it's kind of like with Friday the Thirteenth. It's usually either the final chapter or Jason lives like that probably most often gets, you know, picked for the top two. Um, and I think that in this franchise, it's those, it's the first one or the fourth one, which for me, bride is my favorite, like just for Jennifer Tilly alone. Yeah. Alone. Yep. Oh yeah. God. Same. <laughs> I mean, if the movie was just Jennifer Tilly reading the phone book and then it was like bride of Chucky, credits at the end i'd be like five stars would Bravo. watch again yeah <laughs> um so one thing i wanted to note the director of this movie is jack bender and it's interesting because he has this very prolific career even before um bride of chucky but they're all tv movies um you know and i can't say that i'm familiar with his tv movie work like it's not something that you know i would have been up close and personal with but there was a point like you know before this movie comes out where cable tv is still kind of a novelty so you have all of these movies that theoretically were seen by like tens of millions of people when they came out yeah this is so funny i'm I'm looking at his credits right now and yeah this is a really interesting career and i think Mm -hmm. you do see some glimpses of that like i didn't think about this beforehand but this movie does kind of feel and has those beats of like a tv movie almost Mm -hmm. like a a good tv you know a tv movie with a budget Mm -hmm. for sure but i do think that you see some of these things pull you know i don't know aspects of it kind of pull over Mm-hmm. But he's been involved in some really great TV shows. I mean, we've got yeah. Lost, you've got Game of Thrones, you've got Under the Dome, a little King's Dominion snuck in there. Some Sopranos episodes, yeah. including... Mr. Mercedes, more yeah. Stephen King. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know him best from 
lost. I mean, he directed 40 episodes, so almost one third of the series. Oh, um, yeah. And Lost was one of the last shows that was like pure appointment viewing. Like I remember I would get together with like a, a friend group and we would go to their house and watch every episode as it ran first run, like on their projection system and have lost parties like every Wednesday night. Yeah. Um, so that's when I saw his name in the credits. I'm like, Oh, it's like, I'm going to enjoy this because like I, and I'm one of those people that will apologize. He directed the finale, both parts of it. I'm like, I think the lost finale is perfectly fine. I don't understand the hatred for it. Um, so he's someone who I really, you know, do like. And I know he didn't do a lot of Sopranos episodes, but he did some of the really good ones, like another toothpick um, alias for like almost a dozen episodes. So really prolific TV career. And like pretty, I mean, what do they call it? Like prestige TV? I don't know. But like, I mean, these are like quality TV programs. And I, you know, now thinking about it, like, I think the pacing of this movie is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like I was never really like bored. It kind of clips along. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you're in TV, like you don't have, you, you know, I mean, I guess if it's like a drama, but the fact that he has that kind of experience of keeping something moving, like, it, yeah. I don't know. It, I think that really helps this movie. It could have gone off the rails even more than it did. But I think that his experience for sure probably came into play and really holding it all together. Yeah. Cause you got to shoot it fast. You got to shoot it. You got to get it in, in time, you know, and like to your point, keep it moving. Like there's different, like every 15 minutes, something has to happen and then move, you know? And I think it's fitting for this series because when we think of the child's play series, I think the person that we obviously most associate with it is Don Mancini, who, as far as I know, like hasn't directed any of these movies. Like he's not a director, but he's written everything. But on to the movie itself. The first big change that we have here is we have an older Andy. Um, You know, even though it's only one year between the movies, uh, we have moved the action along by about six years. And that would obviously mean we would need a new Andy Barclay and stepping into those shoes is Justin Whalen. And I I put here in my notes, like he is definitely at this time, somebody for the like, oh, Jonathan Thomas Taylor is like really cute and young girls love him on Home Alone. We need someone who is cute in a non-threatening way. Uh, And I would say that Mr. Whalen fits that bill here. What did you think of this change? I I mean, it's necessary, right? Like the, the movie's jumping forward like six or eight years or whatever. But, you know, the real life, real life Andy was only nine years old. <laughs> so they couldn't use him. So, I mean, it's kind of a, a necessity. So, I mean, what do you do? I, I do think that, you know, if you're going to do it, like, yeah, of course, like, why not get some, you know, some teenage eye candy? Like I was, I mean, I was obsessed with, you know, these teenage heartthrobs at this time, you know, JTT and Devin Sawa and like all of them, like, are you kidding me? Yes. Freddie Prince Jr. Like, yes, please. So the fact that they got somebody like that, it's, it's smart. I also did just want to say really quickly, because I just wanted to double check 
myself before I spoke. Don Mancini did direct Cult of Chucky, Curse of Chucky, and Seed of Chucky. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Do I edit that out? No. You know what? We'll We're let all the learning, person... right? We're learning we'll... together. I, but So Some... he has been involved. Okay. With... I was going to say someone when I said that is like screaming at the <laughs> podcast. Rightfully so. Rightfully. They've like... If you've driven into like a highway divider because I did not know that, I apologize for this. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just want to make sure. Give him credit where credit's due. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Justin Whalen, back to Justin Whalen, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think I've seen him in anything. I, Serial Mom. I know he's in Serial mm-hmm. Mom. Um, I do, but he's younger than that in this. I think this mm-hmm. was before that. So I wasn't familiar with him at the time. I don't remember him being like in my circle of, you know, little hot boys that I was obsessed with. But He's I probably think- best known, like he played Jimmy Olsen for four seasons on Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Um, but I don't think I watch more than a couple episodes of that show myself. Um, and, you know, I mean, he hasn't really done much since 2009, so not really. That's kind of sad. Um, but maybe he's like very <laughs> successful. Oh, I'm depressed. Um, don't be depressed. He has Child's yeah. Play 3 on his He bed. has that He's under his... Fine. <laughs> every, like, four times a year, he gets, like, a residual check for Child's Play 3 and is like, I was Andy once. Um, yeah. I wonder I mean, if he's a little miffed that he didn't get the call for the series. Well, I mean, the series is still going. I don't know. Maybe there's room for, like... You know, a little cameo or something, but I you could have a divided Andy through some sort of shenanigans, twin personalities. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I I just I, I I love the fact I mean, Andy is such an intricate, like intimate part of this franchise. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that they kept the character going. And because logistics just didn't, you know, didn't really allow Alex Vincent to do it because he just wasn't old enough. Yeah. I, I I like this compromise that they came up with, but I also like the fact that they brought Alex Vincent back when they needed him. Like mm-hmm. I I really that's something I've always loved about this. And you know, it's it's one of the most um it's got the most consistency as a franchise, right? There's lots of continuity and actors and storyline and everything. So I don't know. It's kind of weird having a different one, but it makes sense with what they were trying to do. I think you're right. It is amazing how much mythology is built up uh, and how a lot of things tie together, like watching the show. And again, like there are going to be a couple movies that will be first time watches for me in this series as we go through it Um, and how much everything ties together throughout each movie and then into the series. And there's an amazing amount of care that seems to go into this franchise. And it's about a killer puppet dog. Do you know what I mean? Like all of this, it's really, it's, it's great. And I don't say that in a let's make fun of it way. I mean, like it's fantastic that that much care is built into it. Um, I know that like, if, if, um, this if they did this now, meaning like if they like recast a role like this and age it out, there would be like a, you know, justice for Alex yeah. social media campaign, 
the people behind the movie would have to like include him in some way, or he would have to like make some statement, you know, it kind of like when, um, Battlestar Galactica got rebooted in the mid two thousands. And there was this huge uproar because like Katie Sackhoff was going to play the role of Starbuck and Richard Hatch got all like angry. Uh, you know, like I was going to reboot the show and Starbuck can't be a woman. And this is sacrilege. And then they offered him like a pretty good recurring role in the show. And he was like, Hey, everything's good. Yeah. Like you would have to go through that. But at this point of time, like people don't, you know, I don't think anybody was outraged over, you know, this sort of thing. We kind of like played faster and looser with things 30 years ago. Yeah. And that relationship, it's so interesting because it's like you really get to see this relationship develop over, I mean, a crazy amount of time. It's almost Mm -hmm. like comic book characters, right? Like Andy and Chucky are, you know, they're like the hero and the nemesis, right? Like it's like Batman Batman. and the Joker. Yeah, like you get to see them just decade after decade Mm -hmm. like going back you know and forth and killing each other and reincarnating and then you know constantly just like andy Mm -hmm. so just it's like like such a funny part of this franchise so i do love that i mean they kept going with it because they could have easily just just started be like okay well this kid is too young to do anything else with him right now so they could have very easily scrapped andy as a character altogether at this point and gone a different direction but they didn't. So for that, I'm actually really happy because it really kept that through line going for the entire franchise, yeah. which is still going. So I don't know. They 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 reached a fork in the road and it, that was a big decision, I think. And I don't think it gets mm-hmm. enough credit for sticking with Andy. And it, it ends like what we'll talk about the end of this movie later on, but it ends in such a way where it leaves like some pretty big questions unanswered. Um, and then, like, they drop them for Bride and they drop them for Seed, I believe. Like, I don't think Andy is part of those two at all, right? I not like, I think he's like mentioned and referenced. I don't believe, like, you know, the actual Alex Vincent isn't in it, but, you know, it's the character still exists in the world. I think, you know, it's more like that. It would be interesting if these go on long enough if the show goes on long enough like decades from now they have like a very old alex vincent in his like 80s and chucky chucky eventually succeeds in like getting his soul into andy's body but then his body is just so old he like dies the next day of (laughs) natural causes one last (laughs) kick in the pants basically um all this is to ask what do we think of mr whalen's performance in this movie as andy i mean it's okay I, I don't hate him. He's not my favorite part of it. Mm-hmm. I will say that. Like, was he a believable? Like, did I believe he was Andy grown up? Like, I did. Yeah. I don't know. Like, Andy's so young in the first two that, like, whatever. There, There's not a whole lot of, you know, he's adorable. I love his performance. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong in the first two. But there's not a whole lot of, like, personality to base it yeah. off of. So I do think that he did a pretty decent job of being this character and, I don't know. He was okay. Wasn't the best. Yeah. Wasn't the worst. And he, you know, I think does a pretty good job of coming off as a fairly traumatized kid um, based on everything that he's gone through. You know, and one of the things this movie doesn't address is like, well, what happens to Kyle? Like she is not uh, part of this movie at all. 
And yeah. when Child's Play 2 ends, like I've mentioned this in Child's Play 2, they're basically like, you know, Bill Bixby and the Incredible Hulk. Like they're on the run um, after a pile of bodies is left. You know, a, you have like the orphan, the woman who runs the orphanage. You have like the security guard. You have poor Jenny Ogater. You know, all of these bodies and the, Kyle and, and Alex are on the run. But, you know, at some point, like they were picked up and he's gone from like foster home to foster home. And eventually, like, it doesn't sound like he's a troubled kid. You know, yeah. it's not like he's someone that's like hurting small animals or burning down buildings or is just like bullying other kids. It's just like nobody else wants to take a minute at this point. Um, so therefore, you know, like we're going to send them to military school. Yeah, you know, as you do. <laughs> yes. What do you think of that setting, by the way? What is your thoughts on moving the action to a military school? I mean, it's very convenient for a movie is what I think, because it's like you have to it has to happen someplace. Right. Mm -hmm. So what is a good like the plot is not that different from, you know, the others. So really, you have to kind of build the world around it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that they did their best, you know, best job that they could with like, well, let's put it somewhere that things you know can happen and it's fun and it but it's different so they put him yeah. at military school yeah and you know we get the carnival later so it's not what is happening but it's kind of more like where it's happening yeah. which helps how it's happening and the movie feels really really built like that's the foundation of the movie honestly and then they just kind of like filled in the gaps We're like well what do we have laying around and that's how they built the story so i, I mean I guess I, uh, if I'm actually having to like critique it, do I think it was like, I think it's smart on their part, but <laughs> I don't know. I wish they did more with it. I think that you have a setting that is like ripe for some real possibilities. And I think you see that towards the end of the movie, like when they're doing the red versus blue, like capture the flag game. Yeah. Um, um, so you have some like really fun possibilities in this setting. One of those things where I think it captures it is the you have a, a an atmosphere that is completely straight laced, no nonsense, no fooling around, um, you know, deep, dark mahogany in all of the offices, very serious haircuts, you know. You can bounce a quarter off of like the sheets of all the beds. You know, you're not a place you're going to get a lot of fun and mirth. And set against that is this absolutely like ludicrous looking doll. Like <laughs> yeah. bright, bright primary colors, freckles, this like shock of red hair. Um, and I think that what really works is the setting is so straight lace that like it highlights how ridiculous this doll actually is in a really good way without being um without being like overly campy or overly without calling too much attention to it it's just like just put it in this setting and it's gonna work and that's what i yeah. really like him it does always like i do like the way it kind of feels like I mean, a lot of other slashers and, you know, versus like a campground, it's a military school and like you get these teenagers, which I also think is really fun to get a little bit, um, some older kids involved feels, mm -hmm. you know, 
very much like a slasher movie, these different yeah. characters. And then, but also almost like, you know, John Hughes films or something, you know, or weird science where you've got like these kind of quirky kids or even like, I don't know, like a young police academy kind of yeah. <laughs> like these comedic elements. So it's pulling from stuff that's in, you know, pop culture and that kind of movie zeitgeist, but mm -hmm. bringing it into Chucky's world and using it all to his advantage. You don't really get to know the kids too, too well. Do you know what I mean? Like one of yeah. the things you don't really take advantage of is you do have the potential for all these like very distinct personalities, but you don't really play into that all that much. Um, I wish they kind of did a, a lot more with that, but unfortunately that's not the movie you get. What you do get, I think, is a Brad Dourif that is completely locked in and knows the role he's playing. It's his third time voicing the character. Um and he gets it, it you know, like he he's been wonderful in the first two movies. Um, but here, like, it's so distinct, I think, and just a really wonderful performance from Brad Dourif, who's just anchored all of these movies. Oh, yeah. I mean, there is no Chucky without him, you know, and no. I, yeah, I do think that I think you're right. I think that he the way he's delivering the lines like i don't know it felt like he had fun i did read that like this is his least favorite as well so i don't know maybe that had to do something with like the timetable and stuff but uh, you know from a viewer's perspective though like i don't know i love the way he does some of these lines yeah. i would have to imagine that it was pretty fun because yeah this is kind of more the chucky that we see in later installments as far as like the comedic element goes so i i mean he got to really play that up this time yeah, it's the lowest grossing of the series from what I understand. So sometimes like it's someone's least favorite because like the residual checks, I guess you would get after like <laughs> a few less of them coming in the mail. Like, ah. you know, but I could see that I could see also like, all right, it's a third time we're doing it kind of like this way with a different setting. Like, let's do something different. Like, but he never mails it in like much like Robert Englund. Um, and even like Kane Hodder is not, well, Kane Hodder is not my favorite Jason. Um, but no one can ever accuse Kane Hodder of like mailing it in when he plays the role of Jason, yeah. just like Robert Englund, like with the exception of maybe part five where he was like, really, we're doing this again, Robert Englund. And even then there's some great moments like Robert Englund like never mails it in as Freddy Krueger. Like you can never say like, oh, this feels like just a paycheck movie. Like you totally. can tell they really care about and embrace the character and um, embrace the opportunities of playing that character has afforded them and kind of look for new things to do with it. So I think you can really appreciate that about what Duriff does here. Yeah, I agree. And what I do really love about Chucky in this one, um, the level of detail in Chucky, as good as it is in the first two movies, like I've said this before, like the first Chucky to me, I think is like a technological achievement along the lines of um, Bruce the shark or even what you see in Jurassic Park with the dinosaurs. Um, but even here, like the level of detail in the facial expressions is incredible. Like I found myself pausing in the movie a couple times 
and just it happened to be on a spot where like his face was large on screen and like the frown lines, like the sneer in his uh, this, the way his lips could sneer over his teeth. Like it's a, the animatronics are like outstanding in this movie. Oh yeah. It never fails to impress me. It's just, I mean, I don't know like how to make any of that kind of stuff. So it's just like mm-hmm. such an artistic wonder to me. Yeah. It's like, how is this even possible? Yeah. Uh, but it's incredible. I, th- I think this was the first one too, where they used uh, just like not CGI, but like we're using some computer programs yeah. that helped like with his mouth movements mm-hmm. which i think you know helped get the dialogue down and actually make it look more realistic and yeah. it really pays off i think because oh, yeah. it's it's i mean it's it's incredible it's like crazy uncanny valley kind of stuff because mm-hmm. it's, it's even more than in the previous ones I don't know, like just like you were saying, like the minutia of stuff, it just how realistic it feels and looks mm-hmm. and how it doesn't. I don't know, it doesn't feel as much like a doll as like the first. I mean, as incredible as the first one is, this one, it's even more like, oh, wow, this doll's actually talking. <laughs> yeah. And you even see it in things like the strangulation scene, like, you know, obviously like the the character of Chucky was like his serial killer motif was like strangling people. Yeah. And I think one of the comedic bits that comes out of the first movie is like, ah, I can't strangle with these tiny little hands. <laughs> yeah. Um, but here, like when you see the doll, like pulling the yo-yo string around the neck of like Sullivan, the CEO, you're like, that's, it's really impressive. Like, you don't you you definitely get sucked into that moment and you can see it like gripping the strings. Um, it's just like phenomenal work, like really detailed, awesome work with that. And he just looks unhinged like yes. he looks genuinely unhinged in this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then so, yeah, he just gets more and more. Every time he wakes up in that doll body, he gets more <laughs> and more pissed off. Yeah. Um, what do we think of the way he's brought back to life in this movie where he goes from like a melted ice cream glob <laughs> to another good guy doll? You know, okay, so I I I have to appreciate the the boldness of the lack of logic. Mm-hmm. It's like it's just one of those movie things where it's just like, you know what, just don't think about it. Just mm-hmm. it's happening. Like I loved how it picks right back up, you know, from well, I mean, t- not time wise, but like where the last one kind of left off, right? In in the factory, and I love that when they pick up that pile of goo, how it starts bleeding, mm-hmm. and you know, so right there, it's kind of like, oh wait, he, there's still part of him that's alive in there. Like, how is that possible? I don't know. He's been alive this whole time, but yeah. just melted, and then just so I guess he just had to get reshaped into like a functional body. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It doesn't make sense, but I love it. Like, like I love how it looks, and I love how it's executed. <laughs> I and if they redesigned the good guy doll, like would it, or if they made like reshaped it into a puppy, like would he come back as like a puppy at that point, you know, or like See, you're thinking about this too much? That's true. <laughs> and, you know, I, I said this earlier, like not everything needs a detailed origin story, so I should heed my own advice when it comes to that. Is what we're saying here, and I agree. Um, Moving on. Oh, here's one thing I noted. Like, is this the only slasher you can think of where like every single victim is male? 
I was thinking about this a little bit. I saw your note on this. And I mean, slasher, maybe. I know, I mean, there's got to be some like, I was trying to think of like, you know, some like revenge films and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are some of those that the victims are all male. Uh, I mean, the, well, I mean, victim as far as like who dies, I guess. Yeah. But um, it might be the only slasher at least classic slashers. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some modern ones that I'm not thinking of that mm-hmm. victims are all male, you right. know, to kind of flip the and script I, a little bit. Yeah. And I should note like one where um, you're, it's not your deliberate intention to go out of your way to flip the script. Like to me, yeah. it just happens to be that all, you know, and it could be deliberate, um, but it, I don't think that any attention is called to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's not, a moment where you're like everyone that's dying happen around here happens to be a dude. Um, Cause you have like the Sullivan, who's the good guy CEO. Then you have mm-hmm. like the trash compactor death, Colonel Cochran, then Sergeant Botnick, who's the um, barber really weird death. Um, <laughs> Shelton, the asshole. And then the, um, white her the car whitehurst who's the kid who jumps on the grenade and then the carnival security guard and that's it like that's all i can think of and they're all men yeah i do think that this what i like about this movie is that i think you know whether intentional or not i think it probably was i think don mancini puts a lot of thought into these things Mm -hmm. but i like how this movie kind of plays with this idea of masculinity and i think this I, you know the fact that all of these males die also plays into that mm-hmm. and i think that you know you think about i mean number one chucky's a doll and there's multiple comments throughout this movie about the doll thing being feminine and i mm-hmm. think that that's really interesting because i mean clearly like i don't i, I don't know andy liked this doll and then the young boy tyler is that his name like he still played with the doll and you know they were the ones that kind of survive and yet these masculine men are all getting killed by this doll Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's you know kind of playfully utilizing that trope in kind of a, a dark humor way i think right and like tyler the young boy in this movie who befriends chucky like he's looked down upon for befriending the doll like when the uh colonel and the sergeant like walk in and see him just sitting there with the doll like they like look at him with disdain like soldiers don't do this you know they don't play with dolls like it's time to put away these childish things and when andy is caught like beating the crap out of chucky by Shelton, like Shelton just like outright laughs at him for having a doll like that. And well, room. then he takes it and is like, oh, yeah. I'll give it to my sister. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yeah, well, look who gets the last laugh now, Shelton. Yep. <laughs> Fuck off, Shelton. <laughs> yeah. um, who is just like, he's such a dick. Like, there's never anything redeemable about that character oh, no. whatsoever. Like, he's awful. Yeah. In, 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 I think if this was done now, like, he would be written even more so like he would be even more outlandishly jerkish because you would be rooting for him to get um to get uh everything done here and you yeah. made the note like to silva is actually like the most badass character in this movie like she's awesome 
is. She, yeah, she is awesome. I love this character. I mean, she stands up to Shelton. She speaks her mind. She's able to hang tough. You know, like she helps Andy like learn how to shoot. She, she's the one, you know, getting shit done. And she's Mm -hmm. the one that actually, you know, has the backbone and the, you know, the, I don't know what you want to call it, the self-esteem, the spunk to really Mm -hmm. like not put up with the you know Shelton's inflated sense of authority or ego I don't know but she's the one that's actually competent and is getting things done and she's also and then she I mean she's also the one to put lipstick on Mm -hmm. Chucky which at that point he says this means you know this means war war. so you know she antagonizes Chucky a little bit but so I also think that's really interesting that this character is at a military academy where they're constantly talking about, you know, manning up and like, you know, playing up these ideas of what it means to be masculine. And yet she's the one to really come through in the end. So mm-hmm. I think that's I think that was pretty clever. And it's funny you have, you know, Don Mancini, who is an openly gay man writing all of these movies. And as the series progresses, you have like Chucky embracing being a queer icon more and more uh, like an open, like you have like the camp factor of bride of Chucky uh, and having the queer community embrace that so much. And then you follow that up with like seed of Chucky where, you know, there is like a non-binary in Glenn Glenda, you know, you have Chucky having like a non-binary son and not, you know, it's been a, it's been, a long time since I've sat down and watched it. Um, but you know, my understanding is he embraces his kid. Like he's not throwing his kid out for being, oh, yeah. you know, non-binary. Like, yeah, hey, it's my, um, it's my child. I love them. Um, and in the Chucky show, like there's that moment where he opens up to, and I'm forgetting the name of the lead character now, unfortunately, but he opens up to him and he's like, look, I have a, you know, I have a gay son. Like, I don't care. Like I'm, you know, I kill people, but I'm not a monster. Um, so it's funny how you have like early nineties, like, Oh, we have to kind of hide who we are here and like lipstick on my male doll. Like this is, you know, like this will not stand. The dude will not abide. Um, where, you know, now I don't think that would be seen as any big thing in the, series now if anything would be expected to a certain degree yeah so I, I yeah i do think that everything you're talking about like this is where you really start to see this franchise kind of explore those ideas like it's in a you know a subtle way but the those those threads are there and mm-hmm. it really kind of opens the door for all these things that happen later so it's mm-hmm. just building that idea that this is a really I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if safe space is the way to like describe the Chucky franchise, but maybe it is. I don't know. It's just open to a lot of things and plays with, you know, a lot of these ideas that a lot of other slasher franchises didn't necessarily yeah. or approaches it in a different way, I guess. Yeah. So I think that this is where you start to see that. So this movie deserves a lot of credit for that mm-hmm. because without that, I don't know, maybe we wouldn't get those in later installments. No. Yeah, you you do see those, like you said, you do see those seeds start to get planted here. But I think they really start. It's really with Bride where they really start to blossom. Like it's oh, totally, hundred percent. I can't wait to talk about that movie. Like it feels like (laughs) that's going to be a very big show. Um, 
one of the things I noted, like watching this movie is like, there is a very mean spiritedness that runs through the core of this movie. Like number one, you have like Andy has this really tragic upbringing. I mean, like or lack thereof, like still like poor Karen is still like poor Mrs. Barclay. She's still confined somewhere. Like she's still. That's like the one thing I don't like about this franchise because I don't believe like I don't believe that Mm -hmm. like the character that we meet in the first movie. Like, sure, there's trauma. Like, do Mm -hmm. not get me wrong. But do I think that she'll be committed to a facility for the rest of her life? No, I don't. And I, don't I don't think so. I don't think she's committed because like there's anything wrong with her. I think she's committed because she is telling the truth. And yeah. you have like Officer McDreamy, like it was like Mike Norris, like the most copity McPolice cop. Um yeah. and his partner with the mustache, you know, basically like they see everything that goes down, but la- rather than collaborate uh corroborator story. We're like, uh, no, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Off to Arkham Asylum with thee, you know? And then poor Andy is left to wither in the system. I just don't, I mean, like, sure, there's something to be said for, like, you know, speaking your truth, telling the truth and everything and telling everybody what really happened. But would she stick to that so hard that she would lose out on raising her son? Mm. I don't know. Like, I just feel like she would pull some Sarah you know sarah connor shit Mm -hmm. and like bust out of there and like fake it you know just say what she needs to say to get out of there to be with her son like i i think she's smarter for that so i do think that's a little bit of an injustice but then at the same Mm -hmm. time it's a convenient way to get andy to military school it is it definitely is you know there's no mention of kyle in this movie um and then the way this movie ends you know we're gonna jump around here a bit but the movie ends with andy getting like put in the back of a police wagon De Silva being like, are you going to be okay? And he's like, yeah, I've been through this before the car drives off and you think there'll be some sort of follow-up, but it just goes to credits. Like the next thing you get is like scary music and the carnival is closing up shop for the night and everybody is going home. Yep. You know, that's, that's it. It's convenient, I guess. Yeah, I I love that whole last scene, but you're right. Like, I don't know what happens. Like, what does that mm-hmm. mean? Like, what does that yep. mean, Andy, that you've been through this? So you're just going to tell them what mm-hmm. happened and nobody's going to believe you? <laughs> right. Because, like, if I were a cop or an investigator looking at this kid, I would be like, all right. So what you're telling me is, like, from the age of eight years old, Everywhere you have been, there has been a stream of bodies, you know, left in their wake that have died these horrific events, like wherever you go and you're going to blame it on a killer doll. Like, I don't know, like that. He's going to have a eventually someone's, you know, going to be like, this kid needs to be put away. Stop it, before it, it he is kills kind again. of funny, though, like you think about, OK, where this movie starts and they're in that like corporate office room and they're talking about how like oh yeah remember when like that kid almost Mm -hmm. like killed our company and you know there's the one guy that's like we shouldn't do this like this is a bad idea and the 
the CEO guy that the head boss man is basically like, whatever, nobody remembers that. Yeah. The and hard so, thing about being a business sometimes is the fact that we're a business. Like, what? That's a word salad line right there. Yeah. And it, but it is interesting to me because I think that there's a nugget of truth there. Like, the fact that, you know, eight years has passed and people are like nostalgic for these dolls, right? Just like how nostalgia is. I mean, we're sitting here talking about Child's Play 3, you know, like nostalgia mm -hmm. is real. So I, I think it's kind of funny how, you know, time heals all and just kind of puts rose colored glasses on. So maybe that's just what Andy's talking about a little bit. Just like, I'm going to tell my story. It'll blow over because nobody understands and it'll just... Forget, you know, people yeah. will just move on. <laughs> and it's the kind of story that like you would see in the tabloid, like the World Weekly News, like child believes, you know, child claims that his doll killed, you know, foster family. You know, you're not going to that's not going to make like the front page of any paper of record. You know what I mean? Like, it's completely yeah. weird. Um, and it's pre-internet. So it's not like I mean, chances are that 99 percent of the people that would want a good guy doll would have no idea who Andy Barclay is. Like they just want to know, like, why can't I buy that doll anymore? Like, why is it taken off the market? Like to the um, point of like one of the, 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 the woman, the marketer in the room, she's like, Hey, even without like it's, it, it was our number one selling doll. And even now like interested on it is like twice as much as anything else that yeah. we have. And, you know, I mean, to be fair, I mean, you got to think like there's no way that we we make a killer voodoo doll that comes to life and <laughs> like what it's like you know uh, you would hear that and be like no like that's not a thing that would actually happen and we're going to make more of these things and the kids will be happy and our wallets will be fat um moving i love the op the whole opening scene i love that first kill i love that apartment Oh, the ceiling train? I oh love the ceiling God. train. <laughs> yeah, that whole like super rich apartment just like scattered with toys. It's mm -hmm. like, what, what is this? I don't care, but I really yeah. love it. And I love how Chucky uses them to kind mm -hmm. of, you know, stalk him a little bit and uses it to his advantage. It just plays up the whole fact that he is a doll after yes. all. Yes. <laughs> you know, and you have like the, there's nothing better than like slipping on marbles and you know, like taking a tumble that Classic. way, you know, it's a, it never fails to get me. And I like that you get, you know, Peter Haskell, you know, returning for the second time as Sullivan, you know, we see him at the start of child's play Two when the um, toy manufacturer like gets electrocuted and you see him return again this time. And again, what I will never get enough of in this series is when an adult encounters like a woken up Chucky for the first time who's menacing them and the look on their face like holy shit the kid was right yeah like that never fails to crack me up no it's hilarious and then you know just like the thing we were talking about with the first one that the strength of Chucky it's like you can't like this doll's really gonna strangle mm -hmm. you with a yo-yo <laughs> yes like flip him off your back Yep. And how would you like to walk in on that scene later on and just that's what you find like a I don't know, it's just marbles everywhere, toys everywhere, and death by yo yo. You just 
I mean, there's a po- some poetic justice there, right? Mm-hmm. Like this this greedy corporate guy who just basically like made his money off of, I mean, exploiting children is not the right way to say it, but you mm-hmm. know, like yeah. just milking parents for all their worth, and then mm-hmm. like ultimately ends up yeah being killed by the thing that <laughs> built his empire. Yes. I don't know. It's pretty. It's, it's pretty interesting. I love the, that he's strangled with a yo-yo. The good guy taketh, and the good guy. <laughs> giveth and he taketh away and um yep you'll make those dollars but it's gonna cost you and it's incredible how like the first good guy always ends up near this dude again like somehow it always that it was the first one they're like here's the first one off the line like who gives a shit like how do i and uh, do we really know that you know what i mean it's one of the things like is it really like you know these aren't like mondo posters you know what i mean like they're not (laughs) These handcrafted, only so many, like these are made by the bazillions right now. Yeah. Um, and again, yeah. if just, well, we see it in the reboot, like these things wouldn't even be made in America at this point. So yeah, it's probably true. I did think the the most unbelievable part of that whole thing for me is when there's two dolls and one of the dolls says like, hi, my name's Larry. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? No. You're not naming no. a doll Larry? No, there's no doll name. Like that to me was like the most unbelievable thing in this entire. I was like a doll named Larry? No. So I had, I think it's one of those like body hugger things, like the pillows shaped like a person. <laughs> Look, coming from Boston and growing up in the 80s, I had a Larry Bird. No. Oh, well, okay. okay. But th- that's Larry Bird. That's a real person. But like, yes. you're, nobody's like going to Toys R Us and being like, I want a Larry doll. Oh, <laughs> like, man. What are you talking about? Like, that is. Look, yeah, no. I apologize because our show is very popular among people named Larry. Like, we've done the I'm demographics. So- <laughs> we have a high number of people named Larry. No offense to Larry's. Like, I'm sure you're great, but nobody's naming a doll after you. No one's naming a doll after Larry. <laughs> That's the pull quote from this episode. <laughs> no one is naming a doll after Larry. Just, you know, how about a Larry David? Would you get a Larry David doll? That's different. That's like us. Like an, it'd be like an action figure. It'd be like some sad, like floppy doll that's got like one of the pull strings in the back Going that pretty, just says like, hey, pretty, pretty. Pretty. Good. <laughs> If there is a Larry David doll, listeners, and you want to send one to me. I will be your friend to the end at that point. I would love a Larry <laughs> David doll. So yeah, it's just, it's just something that's like, eh, ah, ah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so I've got my, my wife hates cringe comedy and like would never watch curb. And I somehow turned her around on curb your enthusiasm where she watches. Now she's like, I'll be watching this on my own. Like, so yeah. it's our go-to show right now. And I'm so, <laughs> I, I laugh so hard during it. The dog gets scared. Like I'll be lying down laughing my head off and she'll just climb on me because she's nervous. Aren't you okay? <laughs> yes. Like, are you okay? It's like, no, I'm not. Um, all right. A couple more things really quick. Um, we both made notes about Colonel Cochran. This is one of the best deaths in the whole series. Like the whole, he surprises this like tough old army sergeant or army colonel and the guy sees Chucky and immediately dies of a heart attack. And it's just oh, yeah. fucking hysterical. Well, I mean, we're talking about like, you know, the whole like subtle commentary on masculinity. And that to me is just like the most hilarious thing. Cause like, this is a guy, right? I think they talk mm-hmm. about like 
you know, his past in the military and how he served and like, he's the one constantly, like he takes the doll away from Tyler and like tries to throw it away. And, and yet like just seeing this doll like kills him. Yes. <laughs> like Chucky didn't even have to do anything. Just like his presence, like was mm-hmm. enough to just literally destroy this man. <laughs> yes. I would imagine is probably he like they say like two tourists in Vietnam and he just has a yeah. heart attack. Like that man has seen some shit, you know, the man has seen some terrible, terrible things. And like this plastic doll is what, what does him in, in the end. Gotta love it. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, it's obviously played for humor. It's very tongue in cheek and it definitely ties into like being very mean spirited. And what's interesting in this movie, like there, despite the fact that you're at a, a school, is your setting aside from Shelton uh, getting shot in Whitehurst, like throwing himself on the grenade. Like it's all adults that get killed in this movie. Oh, and that the, the garbage, the garbage man, mm-hmm. like that death is actually Awful. like really brutal to me. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, this man did nothing. And he, he like went in to help what he yes. thought was like a kid mm-hmm. and just, like a completely innocent i mean i don't know what he does in his off time but like as far as we know like completely innocent character who was Mm -hmm. genuinely trying to help somebody else and then chucky just (laughs) kills him kills him in a gleeful way for no reason like there's no real reason to kill the garbage man except that it's probably been like 20 minutes without an on-screen death so we need something in there and it's just so mean-spirited in terms of how it's done and oh, I think totally. that ties into this movie. Um, the only other note I really had here was how much fun the last act is. Like everything that takes place at the carnival. I am a complete sucker for carnival horror. Like give me 20 Hellfest movies. I would be absolutely yes. in love with that. Um, and I love like the roller coaster setting and around like the haunted coat. I would love to ride that roller coaster. Uh, even though it looks very unsafe. Um, <laughs> I don't trust the carnies are timing that car- those carriages outright, so I'm not going to get my face sh- shut off uh, or sloughed yeah. off like Chucky. And I love when he gets his face cut in half, how it's like not just animatronics, but it's like gristle and flesh and bone underneath it. Again, like love the makeup job there. Oh yeah, no. This like the what is it? The Devil's Lair, or whatever. Like mm-hmm. this, this it rules. Yeah. Like, and I also love how from the outside it's like, oh okay, it looks kind of like tight. And then mm-hmm. inside, apparently, it's, it's like massive. a gigantic warehouse ride. It's like it's, this- like it's like in Harry Potter when you put down a tent and then walk in and it's yes giant inside. <laughs> yeah, like the whole carnival looks like it. You know, it takes up like half an acre. Like it looks mm-hmm. like the tiniest carnival ever. But this lair is just gargantuan, and I love it. Yeah, it's such an incredible set piece. I love how they used it, and yeah, this the like the Reaper scythe. That's like mm-hmm. everything about it. I think it's just it's an incredible set piece. Yeah. They, you know, they really spent some money there yep. and it's a good mix of, you know, taking away from like the, the military, like moving the story forward into a different setting. Like it's a really fun setting. I thought it was yeah. so fun. And I love how each movie builds larger and larger. I still I think I prefer the factory scene at the end of part two, like just the way it's shot and 
like you get the shining vibe when they're kind of running through the maze of all the Chuckies, like, yeah. uh, and you get like the thing vibe when it comes at all melted and gooey. But I love how each movie, the finale gets progressively larger. Um, and you get some like extended action here, like Chucky again, hanging from the bottom of that, like animatronic, um, uh, bat or dragon, uh, to get to the top of that mountain, like is wonderful. I, I will say what cracked me up watching this movie is when like Chucky kind of like gives, or, or no, the, um, carnival thing gives like Tyler the gentlest of nudges and he like <laughs> falls over knocked out. Like people get knocked out so easy in movies. Like it's yeah. hard to knock someone out. And he just like, it's the most like you could have literally like, just like, gently eased him down and tucked him in it's that gentle <laughs> and tyler is out for the remainder of the movie like i really that really cracked me up yeah it, that's you're not wrong <laughs> um, do we have anything else on child's play three i just i mean ultimately is it perfect no there are some elements of it that i think are a little tired and like they definitely needed to move mm-hmm. on from but at the same time I think there's some really good stuff here. There's some yeah. really fun stuff. There's some really primo Chucky moments. And I don't think it's as bad as everybody says. I nope. really think that this is a movie that people should reevaluate and take a look yeah. at. And if you haven't seen it in a while, check it out because it might sit differently from you yeah. for you now. I had a lot of fun with it and I feel bad that I let, you know, all of those people on the internet tell me what mm-hmm. to think about a film I hadn't even seen when I actually saw it and thought it was really fun. So it was definitely more enjoyable than I anticipated it being. Like, it's not a great movie, and I'm not going to suggest like it's an underrated masterpiece a la like a, a Halloween three at one point. Like, it took a long yeah. time for that one to get the kind of reevaluation it deserved to the degree where like Halloween three, like kids it's now it's just right. Like the way we look at it, like we don't have to say it's underrated anymore. It's now properly rated. It's okay. Um, This is like not a masterpiece, but it is by no means like this terrible movie. Like it is a fun way to pass 90 minutes. It's a different setting than you would typically. It's just for the fact that you get it set somewhere different. Um, for a slasher movie, I think makes it a lot of fun. And, you know, like Chucky is never boring. That's the yeah. thing is like, you always are going to get like a really fun Brad Dura vocal performance. I think it is always fun to watch what they're doing um, with the animatronics. And I think this is the last like classic good guy Chucky look like after this, the next two movies go to that kind of like scarred look. And then the newer movies, like they look more it looks more streamlined like i don't necessarily love the look of the new good guy doll so if you're a sucker like me for the kind of classic good guy look like it's the last time you get it so for all like really enjoyable oh totally i i if i'm doing a marathon of child's play movies i'm not skipping over it i'm gonna watch Mm -hmm. it i'm gonna put it in and i'm gonna do this the whole franchise right (laughs) absolutely and that's what we do here. We do franchises right. So, um, <laughs> so Rachel, your stuff is everywhere. Like you, I really just, I loved the um, 
it was the Halloweenies episode you were just on with like Jen and Mike uh, on horror couples, right? Oh, man. Yeah, we just talked about um, on Halloweenies, you know, the best couples in horror, at least mm-hmm. according to us at that moment in time. And yeah, it was it was a blast. We did it for Valentine's Day. But honestly, it's it'll be a fun episode to listen to anytime. So check it out. That was a lot of fun to listen to. That episode oh, was definitely a lot of fun, as, as all of them are. Um, I love that, you know, my favorite couple, uh, Nurks, Alice, Al- Nurks. I cannot talk. It's been a long day. <laughs> I love that my favorite couple, like Nurse Alex and uh, David from American Aware of Cut Proper Love. I'm trying to think there was a couple that didn't get mentioned that shocked me. That oh. it didn't. And now I'm drawing a blank and it's going to haunt me. And I feel like I said it on listening to psychoanalysis with Jen or recording with Jen. Like, how did this couple not get mentioned? And now it's going to haunt me. Uh, to go back and, it, and, listen. and I don't think it was Chucky and Tiffany because they're mentioned. Yep. Um, God damn. Now I can't think of who it is and it's going to bother me to the end of time. So I apologize. Never mind. So, um, but that was a fun and your stuff is on Rue Morgue and Dread Central, but where else can folks find you and what do you have coming up that we should look out for? Sure. Um, I will also have uh, some episodes coming up with Losers Club. Um, We're doing a deep dive um, on The Shining, the movie Mm -hmm. uh, for one of our long watch episodes with uh, director Jed Shepard. So that'll be a lot of fun to really just get lost in the the hedge maze. It might melt Mm -hmm. my mind, but I'm really looking forward to that. So keep your eyes open for that. And then... um, yeah, I, I'm not sure what else, but there's always stuff. But to uh, find out what's coming up next, you can also follow me on Twitter mm-hmm. <laughs> and Instagram. On Twitter, I'm at Vinyl Girl, G-R-R-R-L. And on Instagram, I'm at The Vinyl Girl because it was already taken, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you can find me there. Excellent. And you can find me here at Pod and Pendulum over on Twitter. Follow the show can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian. You can find my other show, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast where we cover horror movies through the lens of mental health everywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, and we have some other stuff coming up. Like we are going to be hitting the back half of the child's play movies. I think this is where it gets to be really, really fun. We're adding Jen Tilly to the mix when we start talking about Bride of Chucky next in I'm going to apologize in advance. Like I try <laughs> to be, good. <laughs> I try to be a gentleman on these shows. I try to remain appropriate. I try to keep in mind that not everybody shares my sense of perverse humor. Um, the things I would let Jennifer Tilly, the things I would give up to let Jennifer Tilly <laughs> just do filthy, unspeakable, unimaginable things. The way she looks in Bride of Chucky, just, oh my God, I love her. I love her now. Like she can, if she wanted to come over right now and just slap me in the face for hours, I'd be like, thank you, Miss Tilly. Can I have another? Like just (laughs) adore her. If she's listening, call me. Um, But we'll be doing (laughs) Bride of Chucky next. And then when we, this is a few episodes away, but when we wrap up the series, when we do 
the child's play remake um we're gonna do something interesting we're gonna do like basically i'm gonna share the show with uh my friends over at the disenfranchised podcast who they do the opposite of what we do we cover all franchises they cover movies that were like one and done that never had the opportunity to become a franchise. And to date, there's not been a follow-up to the Child's Play remake. So we thought it would be kind of an interesting yin and yang episode. So the plan right now, like Steven, who is a regular contributor now to Pod and Pendulum, is the co-host over on um, Disenfranchise with Brett Wright. Um, you can hear me there. I just was on for their My Bloody Valentine 3D episode. And I've guessed it before on their Friday the 13th remake and their OG My Bloody Valentine. I'm their Valentine's Day guest every year, basically. Aww. It's kind of because, you know, I am that's a hunky, hunky slab of man meat that's a romantic at heart. So uh, you can find me guesting there. But we're going to like do the show together and post it on both of our feeds. So should be really interesting. I'm kind of curious to see how that turns out. Um, in the meantime, please, wherever you're getting the show, please like rate and review the show. We just got like a really wonderful review. Like I was having a really crappy day and we got like a five star review, uh, from someone who said they found us because they wanted to hear podcasts that talked about the screen franchise and that they really loved, um, those episodes and we're like going through the archive and they really liked the show. And that was, you know, like aside from helping people find us when you leave a five-star review and some kind words, uh, it makes it worthwhile for us. We know that like oh, we're on the right track and people appreciate what we do. So um, if you can do that, that would be wonderful. In the meantime, we are your friends to the end. We'll be back shortly with The Bride of Chucky. Take care, y'all.